Hello and welcome to our podcast, What's the Next Step, with me, Sarah Harper. And me, Rachel Boyd. Rachel and I have had the pleasure of working together for a number of years and have nearly 40 years combined experience in the people business. We were really keen to use that experience and now as professional coaches, we've decided to come together on a weekly basis and chat through a range of subjects relating to life, business and careers. In season one, we're delving into the world of work, specifically looking at ways to take ownership of your career. We really hope to inspire you to understand your options and make confident choices as you explore your own career path and strive to reach your professional goals. Through the lens of our own personal stories and the experience we've had supporting many people in growing their careers, we're here to help you advance your own. So please subscribe to the podcast to be reminded of the next weekly episode and come and follow us at What's the Next Step podcast on Instagram. We really hope that you find this helpful. Hi everyone and welcome back to episode 11. Hi everyone. So in today's episode we're going to be taking a slightly different approach to usual. Rather than tackling one particular topic we actually wanted to create some time to address a number of questions from all of you. Some of those that we've been receiving throughout season one. Some of them are no doubt prompted by some of the conversations we've been having. And some are a little bit broader as it relates to where you may find yourself in your career, but are no less relevant for everyone to hear about. So before we dive in, we just wanted to say a massive thank you to all of you for all of your real active engagement and support through season one. We've had loads of questions, we've had loads of reach outs. And one of the reasons that Sarah and I decided to create this podcast was to not only share some of our own experiences, but also to create a real sense of community and to be able to, in some small way, to encourage, inspire and empower people to really figure out their own next steps as it relates to a number of different aspects of their career. And so it's been really important to us that we're able to keep sharing content that's relevant, insightful and ultimately useful. So with that, let's dive into today's um, conversation where we're going to be tackling just a sample of the questions that we've received. So I think we're not going to have time to cover all of them, but it's worth pointing out that some were probably very unique and specific to an individual, but there were also some broader themes that were emerging. So we've decided to compile a couple of those for us to tackle together. And with that, I'm going to take us right back to the beginning of the series and some of the conversations we started it with around managers. And the first question I have is from Guy. And he actually wanted to know, how do you go about managing a poor performer in your team? Which I thought was a really good one. So, Sarah, I'm passing that over to you to have a go. Yes, I agree. It is a, it is a good question. And it's, it's difficult to manage. So um, let's try and outline some of the steps certainly that I think we would take Rach now and we can um, we can take it from there I mean I think the first thing to say is that I would get really close to the individual you know really make sure that you are working with the person make sure that the feedback that you're receiving isn't just sort of third hand or through somebody else in the team make sure you have your own visibility on the individual and their performance and I suppose alongside that it's you know watching out for skills gaps you know what are the actual performance issues is it something that's fixable is it really just a case of for example the fact that the person doesn't know how to use excel let's make sure we actually tackle that and address that head on or is it something broader and deeper than that so i think step one as the manager is really to make sure that you as an individual really understand what's going on the second thing i would say is to give really clear and direct and in the moment feedback um, 
you need to make sure that the person involved really understands the expectations that you have, you know, and the, and the timeline uh, for improvement, to be honest. So it's, um, it's really important to give excellent feedback. And we have an episode on that. If you haven't yet heard it, it's worth a listen. Um, <clears throat> I think if it's heading towards a dismissal, you know, if the feedback isn't working and you really think this person is not going to improve, I would engage with HR uh, as early as possible. Now, I do understand that not everybody feels as though they have an effective HR department. So, you know, use your judgment on that. But to the extent that you think HR can be in any way helpful, particularly if it's heading for dismissal, I would try and engage with them, them quickly. And outside of just the individual involved, I think it's really important to think about the impact on the broader team. You know, if you have a really poor performer amongst, you know, a team of good performers, it can have quite a big impact, not only on their workload as they're busy picking up the pieces of the individual who isn't managed to isn't managing to carry a full workload, but also morale amongst the team can drop. So I just think yeah. it's important to to be aware of that. Clearly, there is only so much that you can disclose and discuss with them because the the discussions that you'll be having with the with the individual, in, you know, will be confidential. So it's not a case that you can be totally transparent, but I think there are ways and means that you can sort of try and make sure that the broader team understand from you that, you know, you're aware that there are some some potential things that are impacting their workload and that you're you're working through it. <clears throat> I would also make sure that you've really thought about how there can be broader support for this individual. So, you know, mentors and peers can really help lift somebody. So again, if 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 it's clear that there's a there's a dismissal on the cards, then I think that's one route. If there's an opportunity to try and really work with the individual and make sure that their performance does improve and they have a chance of succeeding over time, I would really bolster them with as much peer support, perhaps put some buddies in place and mentors to make sure that they're really getting the maximum amount of help possible. Um, because it's it's the impact, I mean, they're probably going to be aware of the fact that they are performing perhaps under expectations. And so there'll be all sorts of going, things going on for this individual, um, including just their confidence and their general, um, you know, I suppose their mental health could be impacted. So it is mm -hmm. important to make sure you sort of wrap Wrap, wrap them up a bit and make sure they've got the support that they need. The other thing to think about is why it is that they're not performing at the level you might expect. You know, is there something else going on in their life that you may well not yet be aware of, but that may well be impacting their mm. ability to, to perform at a really high level. So again, that's another um, really good reason I suppose to make sure that you get as close to your team as possible because the more that they trust you the more they like they are likely to share if they're having difficult situations outside of work but <clears throat> it can have a huge impact on how we actually perform so I think we shouldn't underestimate you know the fact that people have a whole life outside of the world of work uh, another thing I would do is really be aware of <clears throat> the messages that you're giving to people. So back to the feedback point, but also any sort of supportive messages or any really any conversations you're having with somebody who is struggling from a performance perspective. It's a really good idea to follow up with a, with a and ask them to send a brief email summarizing the conversation. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think people often hear what they want to hear 
or yeah, they hear really what they point. are capable of hearing at that point in time. Again, if they have got all sorts of things going on, they just may well not be able to fully engage in the conversation or fully really absorb what, what message they're being given. So if you're giving feedback, it's really important to ask, you know, what are the three things that I've asked you to focus on in the next three months and get them to repeat it back to you so that there is no misunderstanding as to what the ask is. And if there are broader conversations going on, as I say, just ask them to follow up with a, a brief, you know, three bullet point email just to summarise exactly where the conversation got to. It's a really good way, actually, of encouraging them to take some accountability yeah. for the situation as well. And I, I think that's important so that they feel as though they've got some skin in the game here yeah. and actually, you know, they can take control of that situation as well. Yeah, it's not just being point. put at their door. Good point. Yeah. So I think those were the those would be the main things that I would say. Is there anything you don't yeah. to that, Rach? No, I, I think it all makes total sense. And I really like the idea as well. You've got to remember that that person is no doubt probably suffering from low confidence, their mor morale's no doubt being impacted. So it's just a, a good opportunity as well to remind them of their own strengths yes. and balance the feedback. It's no doubt largely constructive, but balance it with some things that might be going well or not overlooking them because your impression of them right now is, is probably not the best. Yes. Uh, so yeah. I think balance really is always point. a key when you're trying to help someone turn themselves around. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's move on to the second question uh, from Alex. Uh, again, quite a specific question relating to um, being a people manager. If a client or senior stakeholder is unfairly difficult or takes a rude manner with your team, how do you handle it? I think it's a great question and certainly situations that I think many people will have been in. So I'll hand that one over to you, Rach. I love it. So it probably requires a little bit subject to context, this one, let's be totally honest. But your natural instinct might be to, in this scenario, to maybe immediately step in and protect your team member. But I think your response needs to be somewhat proportionate to whatever the situation might be. I mean, the last thing you want to do is undermine the individual who's trying to handle it and their ability to manage the situation. So I think my natural instinct would always be to protect, but I, I think I've probably learned through a number of these different scenarios over time that actually that might not be the right approach. So my sense would be the best thing to do is to probably go gather some facts up front about the situation, go and understand, get some more detail. It's probably likely you were part of it. You haven't seen all the evidence. You haven't been there in person. So just go and understand and take the time to really understand what actually happened not only from the individual themselves, but anybody who else that might have been there um, and witnessed it. And then I think you have to assess the severity of the situation. And I almost think there's probably two courses of action subject to kind of where you think it is. Either you think, do you know what? I think this is a great opportunity for my team member to really learn how to manage this difficult situation. And so what I'm going to do is sit alongside them. I'm going to coach them in terms of what their response could be in their next interaction with this client. I may decide that it's appropriate to accompany them, to show a sense of solidarity and to show my support for them. But I'm going to be very deliberate by accompanying them. I'm not taking over. I'm not leading. I'm not putting myself into the sort of front line there. I'm there alongside you. And I want you to still kind of lead that dialogue and lead that conversation. So I think that's one option. I think the other option is if you do deem this to be inappropriate and actually it's unfair to send your direct report back into that scenario, then maybe what you might do is actually call the individual who's been supposedly rude separately 
and follow up with them individually to really highlight what impact that that has had on your team member and maybe offer that opportunity to discuss together what went wrong, kind of what are different, some of the different opportunities or some of the solutions, et cetera. Maybe an opportunity to bring everyone back together to discuss it as a collective group. Whatever you think's appropriate, but you might decide to kind of almost take it offline versus pull your team member into that conversation with you so you can have a more direct um, and targeted conversation. And in fact, Sarah, actually, from memory, I think you covered that in one of our prior episodes where you'd had a scenario, you had a team member who's a high performer. They were in a scenario where they, somebody senior had not been particularly pleasant to them. And so you decided actually to step in and have that conversation separately. And then the result of that was they actually called the individual team member directly afterwards and sort of apologized and put everything right. But right. So I think you've actually probably played that out in reality. Yeah, that's that? right. Yeah, I do. I think that's probably episode two, I think. Yeah, so that's because probably think... worthwhile, actually, Alex, having a listen to if you haven't already, just as a real life example in play. Yes, and I think what I talk about in that is as the manager, or certainly as, as, the, as the individual manager that I am, I, found, I did find it really difficult because, I don't know, all sorts of reasons. I don't really want to confront somebody who is clearly sometimes not a particularly nice person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I wanted pleasant. to make sure that things were in professionals. I mean, all, th- all sorts of things went through my head. But at the end of the day, what it came down to is what, what feels like the right thing for me to do. And part of my role, a big part of my role as a manager is to be there to support my team. And so yeah. no matter how uncomfortable I felt, I was very clear that that was the right thing, the right course of action. Yeah. But the big thing as well for me, I think my takeaway in this type of scenario is making sure that you're not undermining your team member where you can help it. And actually identifying scenarios that might be a little bit on the edge, but actually it's more a coaching opportunity than it is one in which you have to dive in and save them, essentially, because we all deal with difficult scenarios, difficult clients. And so actually some of these scenarios can also be a very helpful learning experience for the individual. Yes, agreed. Agreed. All righty. So question three is from Will, and he wanted to know um, any advice for how to work in a toxic culture? Yeah, thanks, Will. <laughs> <laughs> this is not, this is not an question, easy one. Will. I mean, the, actual, the first thing I would actually say is that, I mean, I really feel for you and for anybody who does feel like they're in a toxic mm. work environment. Luckily, I don't feel as though I've really worked in one, but I've certainly had a number of coaching clients who describe such an environment and I I'd absolutely understand the impact that it can have. I suppose I'd encourage you to think about who the best person is that you could talk to about it, both in terms of you being able to share and frankly let off some steam or discuss your concerns and anxieties and the impact that it's having on you. <clears throat> so to some extent, you know, the, the slight sort of shoulder to cry on, if if you will, but also in terms of who to actually raise it with. I mean, in my experience, a number of people would rather just take themselves out of the situation, i.e. sometimes leave the organisation and take a new job. And this may well be the final outcome, but I'd also really encourage people to think about the broader picture. If, for example, you are being teased or treated differently because you feel you're a woman, how do you really feel about leaving the firm without disclosing your experience and therefore potentially helping other people who are likely to step in your, you know, to to step in your shoes or may already be in your shoes. Um, So there are two kind of different, I suppose, groups of people that you might want to seek out to talk to. Um, You know, mentors, as, as we've discussed before, or really trusted peers can be the excellent person to go through just to kind of go to rather just to 
you know, prop you up and keep, you know, help you keep going. But in terms of actually sort of escalating it as a as an issue to the firm or to the organisation, you know, I, ideally, I suppose that person would be your manager. If you don't feel as though or <clears throat> that you have a great relationship with your manager, then it's about figuring out through the network the right way to get to the top. So is it via a peer who can help you with their manager or is it through your mentor who can help you with the manager's manager? I mean, there are different routes that you could take, but I would really encourage people to think about their, their sort of, I suppose their responsibility more broadly than just themselves. Now, that being said, I do understand that it's difficult when you're just feeling miserable and you just think the only route is out. I do understand that. Um, so it's a question of, I suppose, doing what you what you can in the moment. And I think in terms of what you can do, I suppose it's really, first of all, making sure that you have really looked inward and been very honest with yourself about whether or not you are taking all the necessary steps in order to try and correct the situation, if possible. So how flexible can you be? How much are you really putting yourself in the other person's shoes? What conversations are you having in order to be helpful? So all of those things which... A, give you a bit of a sense of control about the situation, but also really genuinely often can help. If you make some tweaks or changes or adapt your style a bit, it can, it can actually make a big difference. Outside of that, I suppose it's a question of trying to be as open and honest as you can with, for example, your manager or some of the team, if you feel that your manager's the toxic work on, or some of the team, it's about having honest conversations really, which does take a huge amount of bravery. I'm not, I'm not sort of suggesting that this is straightforward, but you know, having some conversations with people to help them understand the impact that they're having. And I think that's a really important way to think about it. It's not about pointing the finger or accusing or criticizing Agreed. it's about really making sure that people understand you know that their words and their actions what sort of impact it has on the rest of the team and so if you feel kind of brave and confident to do that then that's the sort of conversation that you could run through with a mentor in advance or again a, a really trusted peer to help you think through exactly how to have that kind of conversation but in all honesty it does feel as though some of these people who do create a really really difficult environment just often aren't aware of it and are, and are probably lacking in a, in a bit of self-awareness. And yeah. so part of their journey needs to be somebody giving them the feedback and somebody, you know, sharing very real time the sort of impact that they have. One thing I'd say, and I've seen this through clients as well, where there's a sort of fear or nervousness of raising some of this in case it gets directly attributed back to you, the feedback. And so again, I think, you should be confident when you go speak to a mentor or to a senior figure within your organization that, and you should ask that if you don't feel comfortable that you're associated with it, then I think it's fair enough to kind of raise that as well. But that shouldn't be the reason why you don't do it because of that fear. And so I think there are ways and means, again, in which you can ask for your confidentiality or you know confidentiality around the feedback to be sort of respected. Um, as you share it yes good point rich i agree so, but yeah i mean i think i think there isn't a straightforward answer to this no. toxic environment point i think um i think as we say some people may decide ultimately the, the time is to leave i mean the other thoughts are if you don't want to leave the organization but you really can't stay in the team it's just doing what you can to think about other roles internally that may be of interest to you so that you don't focus i think 
what can be difficult for people is if they do leave and go to a whole different organization is that they feel a real sense of resentment um mm-hmm. and you know there's there can often be a sense of blaming the past experience on their you know what may end up happening with their current experience and you want to probably ideally not take that baggage with you so really think about exploring other internal options before you leave so it doesn't weigh on you yeah um anything else in particular you would share on that rach you know it's probably probably main things have been covered you've covered it well so let's move on to some more sort of general themes now so these are i suppose uh not specific questions but thoughts that have come through from a number of different people and the first one which i will pose as a question to you rach but it's really a a combination of other people's uh questions that have come through to us is about how you build more confidence at work so how do you think you can encourage people to to build that confidence at work Rach? Well I think it's it's a really good question and let's be honest it's a theme that comes up a lot with coaching clients and we all go through periods don't we at work where we might question our abilities our self-belief maybe takes a dip I think it often comes out I mean AL talked about this in our last podcast on imposter syndrome when maybe you're going through a role change a job change Maybe you've got a new manager or new leadership and suddenly it feels like you've got to start again and prove yourself. So lots of different scenarios can kind of bring about this dipping or questioning around our confidence. But a couple of things that um, I would encourage people to think about in this space. So firstly, focus on your strengths. Um, Often I think we immediately divert our attention and we get consumed with some of our areas of development, some of the things we need to focus on and we make that 100% all of our focus. Well, actually, if we remind ourselves of some of our strengths, it can kind of really help us carry ourselves through. One of the things I often encourage clients to do is write themselves a badass list. And that is, get that down, Sarah. It is a list of things you've either accomplished, you've achieved, you've overcome in different parts of your career. And it's just a great thing or asset to pull out on that day when you're just feeling a little bit low and you need to remind yourself that I am more than capable of taking on whatever the day is about to throw at me. The other thing I often like to do is just have a little feedback folder where someone has sent me some lovely feedback and it reminds me of some of my strengths. So maybe when I've had a clashing email outlining some of the things that haven't gone so well, I can just compare and contrast and remind myself I am more than capable of turning this around. So they are very little practical things, but I think very effective in reminding yourself and pulling yourself back into this sort of strengths-based mindset. Yes, excellent. I also have the positive feedback folder. I think that's a great one. (laughs) Uh, So that was the first one. I think the second one for me is keep learning. So the more that we can invest our time in professional development, building up new skills, maybe leaning into new opportunities or or pushing ourselves outside of our natural comfort zones, they are all amazing ways in which we can expand our thinking, help us build new parts of our network. And it just helps us not play so small. So the more that we can sort of put ourselves into an expanded environment, I just really think it helps us build that confidence that we are not a tiny fish in a very tiny pond, but we are more than capable of playing much bigger. And then the third thing is really investing time and working on your mindset. And again, I spend a lot of time on this actually with clients, but it requires a lot of work of tuning in, I guess, to some of our beliefs, some of that inner critical talk. And 
really challenging it and ultimately reframing some of the beliefs that we may be carrying around as baggage over time that have, you know, have certainly come from prior conditioning from when we were much younger and reframe, actively reframing it. Um, and one of the things that I've often done along the way may sound ridiculous, but seriously, it's helped for me. I've often, let me give you an example. I often used to procrastinate. I'm a big perfectionist. I like getting things to a really high quality and amazing standard. And if I couldn't, or if there was some blockers along the way, I'd sort of procrastinate, I wouldn't do anything about it. And so I often used to adopt the little phrase, make it happen, as a sort of way in which it would just jumpstart me into stop procrastinating and move yourself forward, just take the next step. Um, and so I would actually use the opportunity when I created passwords, like for my PC, or I mean, how many times do we have to enter a password in, in oh, our daily don't. lives or something? I would use the password opportunity, not as the old address or my old school name, which are all the classics, but instead I'd use these little phrases as my password because the number of times in a day when I actually had to use them, it just over time started to kind of overtake some of the other language that I might be using or words I might be using for myself. So anyway, I share that in case it's helpful for anybody to maybe adopt. That's brilliant, Rach. Interesting. I mean, I love that idea. That's a really good one. I might steal that if that's okay. Maybe just say out loud not, so not... everyone knows what your passwords are, but... <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, one thing I do, which is, which is a, a different example, is in my sort of daily calendar, randomly throughout any given month, I have a number of different sentences that I've written down, which yeah. are all of these sort of positive affirmations um, and so I don't have one for every day. It might be every three days or, you know, four days might go before I get one, or there might be two in one day. They're just sort of randomly placed. And when I come across one, it just reminds me and I read it and I think, oh, yeah, what is my win for today, for example? And then I move it to another random spot in two or three weeks time. So I'm constantly right. kind of seeing them and then moving them forward. Yes. But it definitely just makes me pause for like a few seconds while I read it and think about it. Yeah, I you find just it really need helpful. these little moments, don't you? Yeah, you do. But you also need it to be very obvious and very much there. Because I think, you know, when I've spoken to clients about this and, you know, something that they just struggle with is needing the reminder to do it. And so yeah. exactly what these two, I think our two examples show is make it really part of your day to day life. So you don't yeah. have to think about it as an extra. It's just there. I'm surprised you haven't got your post-it notes out. I know your love with post-its. I, so. I do love a post-it. I've got those as well. Don't you worry. <laughs> right. So question five. One for you, Sarah. Again, generic theme, but... What about things to do or think about when you're stuck in a rut at some stage in your career? Yeah, and this is so common, isn't it? I mean, we so have, common. I mean, I honestly don't know anyone who wouldn't be able to say that they've been through periods of feeling stuck in a rut. Um, and it's something where you can't really quite put your finger on why, but things just don't feel quite right. I mean, certainly I feel like my energy level is a bit lower. I don't have the usual spring in my step. I'm just not really as up for it. I mean, perhaps the Sunday night blues kick in, which they haven't they haven't come previously. So there's a few little indicators that make you start sort of questioning, oh, there's something going on here. And I think, um, you know, I think to some extent that is actually what we then need to do is question, really spend some time questioning ourselves. What is going on here? So, I mean, when I think about working with um, some coaching clients on this, I go back to talking about some of the basics, which are probably the things that got them to that job in the first place and we really strip it back to the values and their strengths um you know what is important to them what drives them where is it out of line with what the actual current situation is what fixes can be made 
you know, in order to try and get things back on track? Or where are there no fixes and what should we do about that? So it's really, it's, it's actually a relatively straightforward process, I think, to go through. But often I think it's most helpful when you can do it bouncing ideas off somebody else or getting somebody else to kind of ask you the questions. Because if we just kind of sit there on the bus on our way to work one day, we get distracted by other things or we don't fully expand our thinking. But when somebody else can be questioning you or really probing and challenging you, I think that's where the real, real, you know, excellent thoughts and light bulb moments can can arise. So that's where I would make another plug for coaching. But also you could use a mentor, you could use a really good family friend, somebody who is really good at listening and asking good questions, basically. Yeah, because I think what you want to do is just take yourself right back to the basics of what do I love? What am I good at? But I think it's key to move beyond that, in all honesty, as well. I think all of that totally makes sense. But you've got to then get it into, okay, so what? Now you've discovered some of that stuff about yourself. What are you going to do about it? What are your next steps? Totally, totally. Otherwise, I find people are often in this sort of merry-go-round almost of thoughts. And they may actually have some of this stuff assimilated, but they don't quite know what to do with it to actually move it forward. And so actually, I think that combination of re-identifying with actually what's important to them but also then what's next what what's are you going to do about it and one of the suggestions i was going to make about the action is it's really helpful here to use um your broad network and as broad as possible to just have conversations and start potentially dipping your toe in a different water uh and experiencing something else because obviously what you probably don't want to do is just jump ship and start a new job i mean that feels just quite an extreme situation and it's not without its complications. It's quite a big deal moving jobs. It has huge implications and it can be quite stressful. So before you get to that stage, I would really tap into your network and think about having just have coffee catch ups with people and just ask them about what they do, what, what inspires them, what's the culture like at their organisation, all sorts of questions that can just help expand your mind a bit. And then it helps you to move on to the, OK, well, maybe I could come and spend some time in, you know, talking to you about this or working with you on this project or whatever it may be. And it just creates, starts to create that action. Mm. Like it. Um, okay, next question, Rachel, which I think might be our last is, as we are coming towards the end of 2024. Um, well, 23, could... let's what? be honest. What? We're coming towards the end of 23. We're getting into 23, 24. sorry, 2023. <laughs> don't get ahead of ourselves here Sarah thank you Rachel Boyd as we are coming towards the end of 2023 could you help people think about goal setting we've had a lot of questions about goal setting and what does that really mean and I don't think I do it but actually maybe I do can you just give us a bit of a 101 on goal setting and it's a really good time to do it so yeah let's let's tackle it now well I love that that's coming to me as well because I think throughout this season one we've identified I'm the goal setter and you probably not so into setting goals necessarily <laughs> we've got a slight difference there but I or maybe it's it. just that I don't call them goals Rach yeah, exactly I think that's exactly the reason we don't have to call them goals yeah I think it sounds very formal yeah and it turns us off in many respects yeah I think that's right um so can I call I, them new year's resolutions instead ish yes <laughs> ish So I personally think it just gets thrown around a lot, this topic, right? And um, let's be honest, what is a goal? I think at the most baseline level, it is something we want to achieve. So a desired result that you plan and commit to achieving, it is basically a dream with a deadline. If you want to think of nothing else, a dream with a deadline. 
And let's think of the different types of goals, right, that we might think about. So they might be professional. So maybe you're thinking about your job performance, you're working towards, you want to work towards a promotion next year, or there's certain skills that have come up in your performance review that you're just having that you want to lean into. So there could be a professional set of goals, but there could also be some personal goals that you're focused on. So it might be related to health, relationships, hobbies, like you name it, there's a whole array of different things that you might want to think about. Um, and so how do I do it? I mean, I genuinely, I literally get a blank sheet of paper and there is this um, exercise that I often do with coaching clients actually, and I've done it for myself recently. It's called the uh, wheel of life. Mm -hmm. And it encourages you to yep. look at a number of different dimensions, right? So whether it is career, health, friends, family, love, money, Hobbies. spirituality, and you give yourself a rating from one to 10 in terms of right now, how do you feel you would rate yourself, I guess, against each of those different dimensions? Now, God forbid you are in 10 in every single one of those categories. <laughs> Can't wait to meet that person. And it is not, there is no right or wrong answer in all of this. It's simply to give you a gauge in terms of where you are right now, what is taking more of your time. And as you look at those scores that you give yourself across those different categories, you can then just start to ask yourself some broader questions. Oh, that's interesting. My hobbies seem to be three out of 10. As I think about 2024, am I okay with that? Or actually, do I want to put more of an emphasis on it? And as a result, if I do, what are the next steps that I could take in order to get them to a five, for instance, on the scale? So it is just a very helpful life audit more than anything to get a grip as to what is currently top of your priority list what are your dials and are there any in which you'd like to shift the focus and momentum and it forces you to then get into the questions as to okay what is it going to take for me to do that and from that you can derive quite easily a set of things that you would like to start to focus a little bit more on now, the ideal thing, if you speak to any professional about goals, is you would make them smart goals so that you actually start to put some timelines on them and make them very specific and all that great stuff. But if you feel overwhelmed, just do the life audit first and you can leave the smart goals to one side for now. But there are a couple of things I'd encourage people to think about ultimately. And I'd also say that coaching is actually um, can actually be really valuable if you want somebody to help you start to think through your goals, create the space for you to really think expansively and ultimately create some of that roadmap in partnership with you. And ultimately, you know, hold you accountable to making some of that a reality. So that might be something yes. to think about. Yeah, I think really good. I think we're all really good points. I also use the um, life wheel quite a lot. And in particular, for anybody who's listening who is really, really visual, I just think it can be a game changer because having something down on a piece of paper where they can actually just really see in a circle with in a pie chart you know what what where things align it really really it's a it's a light bulb moment for some people so I think it's an yeah. excellent thing to do for sure so with that um we're actually going to use aren't we next week's session to delve into the world of coaching a little bit because yes. I'd say that's probably question number seven we've had a lot of people are curious, you can see, to learn a little bit more about coaching and how it might be helpful to them in the context of different places that they might be in their career. So we're going to use next week's episode, the last episode of season one, to really dive into that in a little bit more detail. So stay tuned. But really hope that you found today's session helpful. 
Um, hopefully we've covered some decent ground there and picked a broad range of the questions that we've received. Um, and even if it has sparked questions for you, feel free to get in touch with either Sarah or I on LinkedIn, or you can reach out to us through Instagram at What's the Next Step. I'm very happy to continue some of the conversation there if other things are coming up for you. But with Absolutely. that, I look forward to seeing you next week uh, for our very last session in season one. Yes, look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you're leaving with plenty of food for thought and feel inspired to take the next step in whatever way makes sense for you. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would really appreciate it if you could rate, review and subscribe and come and follow us at What's the Next Step podcast on Instagram. We hope you join us again soon.